people may have understood air quality for some time, but I'm not sure until recently that the whole world was focused on air quality around us every day. That's Scott Tu, Sustainability Leader and Executive Director for Train Technology Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. If we can make sure that the buildings are healthy and the space that people are returning to are healthy, can we do that in a way that does not sacrifice efficiency gains, does not sacrifice emissions footprint? Can we do it all? As a global leader in the field of sustainability, Scott spends his days thinking up ingenious ways that our company and our solutions can put the planet first. Today, we start off this brand new series by exploring what indoor environmental quality really means when it comes to healthy spaces. We discuss the challenges of creating energy efficiency in different types of spaces and the surprising impacts of buildings on public health and the exciting new partnerships that are driving the focus on healthy spaces forward. I'm Rasha Hassanin, and you're listening to Healthy Spaces with Train Technologies, a series of conversations that explores the world of indoor environmental quality from the inside out. In simple terms, indoor environmental quality is just about everything around us in enclosed spaces. Factors like air, temperature, lighting, and noise make up our internal surroundings, and they can have a considerable effect on us as human beings as well as on the world we live in. Thanks to his upbringing on a farm in South Alabama, today's guest, Scott Too, has a unique perspective on the impact of buildings on our environment. You know, if you're on a farm, you're thinking every day about impact. You think about the impact of weather. You think about the impact of waste. You think about what you're consuming. And that's very similar to what I do today, actually. Seven generations before me thought about it in the terms I just mentioned. Today, I get to think about the impact of things like our HVAC systems. As they cool, they take a lot of energy. So what's the impact on the grid? What's the impact on the building? You know, I know that you're very focused on what's the impact on people inside those buildings. The team that I lead gets to think more about how do we minimize the negative aspects and how do we maximize the positive in terms of buildings. So it's an exciting time because there's a lot of opportunities out there for us to do great good. So Scott, you talked a lot about the impact of our heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems on the environment. Maybe you can give us some numbers around how HVAC impacts energy use and greenhouse gas emissions. There's a huge opportunity in the built environment for us to do a lot of great things around reducing the negative impact. Buildings consume roughly 35 plus percent of the energy globally. So if you think about it, all those devices connected in buildings, things like HVAC systems, lighting that's overhead, all the things that happen inside buildings, is a huge energy consumer. And that also means there's a huge opportunity for us to do better, to reduce that impact. And so If you think about it in terms of climate impact, which I spend a lot of my time on, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions profile of buildings is roughly 16% of the global emissions. It's one of the large sectors. It's probably unknown to some of our listeners here, but it is the big area of opportunity that our company's focused on. Excellent. And honestly, what we do at Train Technologies is so important to all of us. Sustainability is really at the core of our purpose and our strategy. And for me, I consider indoor environmental quality a natural part of that work. 
right now, many countries, businesses, individuals are just trying to figure out how to resume life and restart economies. You know, people spend about 90 to 95% of their time indoors. Recently, we had one of our executives didn't believe that. He sort of tallied up his indoor spend and he absolutely validated. He spends about 91% of his time indoors. And so what happens in the indoor environment is so important to everything we do. And if we're not careful, you know, optimizing or or making that indoor environment better could have a pretty significant impact on our environmental footprint. And right now with the pandemic, with everything going on, with people shifting more towards their home and having more control over their environment, people are starting to really become aware of the air around them, of the environment around them. And before, even though we cared a lot about it, most people didn't realize how important indoor air quality was or how important indoor environmental quality was and the impact on their health from poorly managed spaces. We've got a lot of people live in cities that think about the city's air quality. We have a lot of people that maybe ride subways and they think about the air quality in the subway. But I'm not sure until recently that the whole world was focused on air quality around us every day in our homes and, and the offices that we might even be fearful about returning to. So why don't you why don't you say a few things about why you're doing what you're doing now? Because you did have a day job before. <laughs> I, right? I did. I did. And I will tell you, I don't think I have talked about indoor environments or indoor air quality more in my life, <laughs> in my career, as much as I've talked about it in the last few months. But it's really important. And if you just think about any one of us, right? Think about a working mom of two kids who lives in a big city. Every day she leaves her house where she, quote unquote, has full control over the environment. She puts her kids on a school bus. They have to go to a school. She then will either take a transit bus and go to her work, go to her office or go to her clinic or go to a hospital or go to a restaurant. She'll then leave work and go maybe buy something, she'll go shopping. And then finally, she's got to come home. And that home has to stay pretty safe in order for her to be able to sleep well at night. Well, during COVID, there wasn't a lot of that happening. Most people were at home. And so that indoor space had to now serve a different purpose. But now as these economies are starting to open up, the risk around being in those spaces is in focus. So she's worrying about you know, when she goes to work, is she catching something that she's bringing back home? What about her kids on those school buses in school? And each and every one of us is going through these scenarios every day and starting to become more and more sensitized to that indoor air around them. My son, Isaac, ninth grader, he's in one of the only schools in the area that went back to school early for in-person training. And every day, the school sends us an update on what happened today. But that's been a lot of parents' minds at schools, no matter the age of their kids, ninth graders. Maybe people don't worry about ninth graders as much as elementary schools. But of course, if it's your son, you do worry. This is real for a lot of people. This is also not new, right, to the industry that we're in. This whole thinking about indoor air and how you manage it and what it means for the occupants, right? Absolutely. And this intense focus on a highly aggressive pathogen is a new train of thought for us. 
really indoor environmental quality in schools has been a topic of research for quite a long time. We know, for example, several studies have shown that thermal comfort or how warm or cool a school is can improve student performance on both psychological tests and school tasks by about 20% on average. Improved air quality with less CO2, right? Less pollution, less volatile organic compounds or little pollutants in the air have been shown to improve the speed of test completion by 12% or more. It reduces overall errors in what students do on tests and on assignments. And just as importantly, it can improve daily attendance by up to 2.5%. Some studies have shown that indoor environmental quality can be as good a predictor on student performance in public tests as their GPA. So they could be a straight A student from a GPA perspective, show up and write a test, and they're just as likely to do well on that test with a high GPA as they are with high indoor environmental quality. Well, I mean, I think we found some of the same things about of productivity inside buildings, right? Absolutely. It's exactly the same cognitive functions. While learning might be slightly different, these results are a little more heightened for students, for children, but it's exactly the same types of experiences for adults. And this, just like sustainability, Scott, which is where you really focus most of your time, this is a really big issue for us, this issue around public health and indoor spaces. And it's one that we truly can't do by ourselves. It's definitely a focus for us, but it's also an area where we really need to lean on partners, both internally and externally, to be able to, to make a difference and have a real impact in this space. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as we would like to solve all these big issues on our own, it's just not possible. They're just too complicated. We don't know what we don't know sometimes. And I think that I think we've learned, especially in my experience of sustainability, that it really helps to do a, a couple of things. One is to go outside the company and ask people that have expertise, what do you not know? Identify your our own gaps. We've done that in sustainability in the areas that we were where we didn't think we had all the answers. I think we've also found out that you can do that in a several ways. One, you can find outside organizations that are really smart, that go really deep in these areas, and you can be part of their work. And number two is you can set up sort of a formal group that can help the company identify these big gaps. We did that in sustainability. I know that you've recently announced a new council of outside experts to help us there, to help us understand the indoor air environment, maybe how things like pathogens move around, maybe how doing the things that you mentioned about improving indoor air, what that means if you link it to efficiency. Because one of our big focus areas that I'm really proud of is if we can make sure that the buildings are healthy and the space that people are returning to are healthy, can we do that in a way that does not sacrifice efficiency gains, does not sacrifice emissions footprint? Can we do it all? You bet. We, we like to not invent the wheel here. And if something's working, we'll just copy and paste. And so I think the work you've done, Scott, with the Sustainability Council has been phenomenal. And, and we really want to learn from you. And, and you're absolutely right. Having these experts help us and really participating in this space allows us 
to really learn helps us see around corners and it really does help us make sure that we're working on the right strategies. The other really interesting thing is it's not even indoor environmental quality without sacrificing sustainability. Some of our own primary research we've done has shown that if you actually focus on the occupant, if you personalize indoor environmental quality to what the occupant is feeling, you actually have a positive impact on energy efficiency, not by doing anything special, but because you're looking at smaller, more individualized spaces versus these larger sweeping changes. And so the more you can, we can focus on the occupant, the more you actually get the added benefit of a lower um, greenhouse gas footprint and higher energy efficiency. So how does that work really? What do, we, what do we think we're learning that we didn't know if we focused on the occupant? Some of the things we're learning is that you can create microclimates and those microclimates for that occupant is just like having a much bigger environment. So if you cool the entire floor, they're going to be comfortable. If you just cool the area they're in, they're going to be comfortable. Same thing with indoor environmental quality or indoor air quality. If you create targeted lighting versus lighting up the entire floor for their task, they're going to be comfortable and they're going to be more productive. And the more you can tune those micro environments to the occupant, the less you have to cool empty space, the less you have to light space where no one is is working and you can actually generate a highly optimized, but also very healthy space as a result. And so we're learning a lot. And we just think with all of the advancements in both digital technology, but also much more personalized technologies with wearables, with personal cooling devices, personal indoor air quality devices, we're going to really have a great environment to execute this in. Yeah, I love this idea of how customizable or customizing a cue for the occupant. It's very similar in the sustainability world to customizing solutions, even for a particular building. There are certain things that we can do to customize how we help a building become more efficient, to become less climate impactful. And we can customize that down to a building level. And I think this is what you're talking about too, in terms of a microclimate or a pathway for the occupant. And there are no trade-offs there. You enjoy the same positives that you would have enjoyed when we were doing it a different way. And we find the same thing when we're trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions because there are big opportunities to make improvements. And if we can identify the pathways, then we can customize the solution. And sometimes, as to your point, even with uh, energy, it, it takes some technology levers. It takes some partnerships. And I think the more that we learn, the more positive our impact can be here. So maybe, Scott, you can expand a little bit on that in terms of sustainability pathways and energy efficiency. Like, what are some of our opportunities around sustainability and around balancing those healthy spaces with efficient spaces? We thought about this a lot in terms of these pathways that I mentioned. Uh, You know, our first mindset is, how do we help a building not give up all the things that they provide for us today? Besides just the shelter of a building and the comfort, what else happens inside of a building and because of a building? One is there's a big pull on the energy grid. So one of the things that we're doing is working with the supply side, the energy supply side, and increasing options out there for renewable energy and for other ways that the grid itself, the energy grid that supplies the energy to the building, becomes uh, less negative 
impact over time. And we're doing our part there in terms of putting on-site solar on facilities and virtual power purchase agreement uh, with wind farms inside the building, though, to your point. We're also, of course, increasing the efficiency of the equipment that we put in buildings, but we're coupling that equipment with some really highly intelligent control systems so that the building itself becomes smarter over time. Maybe you have a smart thermostat in your home. If you're a listener, maybe you've seen one in the building. These are systems that actually can react to the number of occupants inside of a building and can help cool or heat the building down to an occupant level. By doing that, you save energy. The building itself becomes a bit greener, is less a negative impact footprint on the, on the environment. And you don't have to give things up. The building's still comfortable. The building is talking back to the grid. It's giving some information back to the grid so that the grid itself gets smarter over time for interacting with the building. We're seeing all those things. Of course, as a company, we're reducing our footprint as well by in that new equipment. We've included some next generation low GWP refrigerants. It's those refrigerants that are less impactful on the environment. They're inside those systems and You know, you couple all those things together, you know, and one plus one plus one equals something greater than three. And that's what we've been focused on. And we're finding there's no big negative trade-offs here. It's a win. It's a win for the whoever owns the building or maybe a home. It's a win for the supply side of the grid. It's certainly a win for for the environment because we're, we're checking all the boxes needed to make sure that our impact is more positive going forward than negative. Right. And it's a win for the for the occupant. And I think that's really key. Right. You know, there's been a lot of research and there's great evidence that shows that healthy spaces are good for occupant performance. They're good for business. And we believe that when we couple that with efficient spaces, they're good for the planet. And this no compromise situation is exactly what we aim for. And we will continue to aim for that. The other thing that you and I hit on was really that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer, right? Every building is a little different. Every occupant's need is a little bit different. Two identical buildings in different climate zones will behave differently. Two identical buildings in the same climate zone being used for different purposes will also behave differently. And so the need to create these very customized solutions, the need to assess both the performance and the use of the building to then come up with solid plans for energy efficiency, for pathogen mitigation, for environmental quality, and then continuing to manage that building to the needs of those occupants, I think is really, really the critical path, Scott, to getting us to both healthy and, I think, efficient spaces. I would say that even though you and I both know that customizing a solution is really critical, what does that mean when there are thousands and thousands of schools in every community around the world? I mean, do they all have to wait on a customized solution? Now, that's a that's a really good question, Scott. Customizing the solution is really about understanding the use of the space and really understanding the need. It doesn't mean that you can't have district by district archetypes or types of spaces. It doesn't a recipe, a, recipe right. a playbook that you can implement. It's not a one size fits all. You can't go take something that a school does in Minnesota and say, I'm going to do exactly the same thing in Texas. You can't 
go decide that you're going to do something at high altitude in Denver and say, I'm going to do the same thing in Miami. Those are just very different. So having a playbook or a decision tree that allows you to very quickly get to a simple sort of set of solutions for a set of schools and then empowering the leadership of the school, the management team, the facilities management team, et cetera, to make choices, informed choices themselves also falls into that. So coupling those things together will allow you to get very customized solutions without having to wait on a super custom thing to go happen. That's right. Some of the basics are, are the basics, right? So to your point, maybe regionally, there are some things that can be added on. Right. And I think also by educating, ed- educating administrators, educating facilities managers to, to be able to make those sound decisions and ask the right questions to get those answers allows us to get closer and closer. I think that the fact that there's some people thinking about how do we solve some of the big concerns of the day, these are very relevant. It's a very relevant topic. We're all concerned about bottom line impacts of using energy in buildings, but we're also concerned about health of, of us being in our homes, of us returning to work, of us sending our kids to school. And so, I agree. I think the innovation landscape is blowing up around indoor air quality now, but I think occupants are making choices on where to go and where not to go. Occupants are making choices on what to buy, whereas before I think it has historically not been the occupant's choice. And so with that expectation, with that education comes changes in expectations. And we're seeing that As you know, Scott, in partnering together, we see innovation is really the way we're going to bend the curve on climate change. And and we've got to, we believe with where we are in the industry, with the industry we're in, we need to take that mantle. And I think, I think we, we really are. I mean, we can benefit the environment and benefit the people. That's right. Communities. And so it's an exciting time. With something so complex and interconnected, our ability to partner is so important. How we lean on experts and on organizations that spend every day thinking about this is what's going to help us make this real and make it actionable. And on that note, to finish up, I asked Scott to share a few tips on things that we can all go do right now around indoor environmental quality and sustainability. You know, for homeowners, I always say there's a couple of things you should always do. One is the thermostat in your home. It's the big energy user. It's the HVAC system. Make sure it's adjusted and make sure that you have adjusted it in terms of, especially if it's a smart thermostat, make sure it's doing its job. Those things are, they can do a lot more than you may expect. And make sure that you're uh, adjusting the temperature in a way that's comfortable for you, but also is saving you energy. And saving you energy means that uh, it's also saving all of us in terms of what we use on the grid. And then secondly, I always talk about lighting. Lighting is probably the easiest thing for any homeowner to do in terms of saving energy is to move to LED bulbs. If you've not yet, if you have a lamp uh, that you've been waiting because you didn't feel like there's an LED bulb that gives you the soft light that you would like, that's not true anymore. That's an old myth. You can find the same soft lights that we've all loved, but incandescent with LEDs now. Options are, they're fabulous and they're extremely affordable. The payback is immediate with lighting. And so those are the two big ones for homeowners that I would always mention. Speaking of lighting, right? You can tune that light as you're thinking about your home and how you're using your home differently. We know that the daylight type light bulbs, the LED light bulbs will help you work more efficiently. They're labeled that now. If you don't have dimmers, think about putting dimmers in in place to allow you to vary the intensity of that light. And now you can have very specific lighting 
for when you sleep or when you're learning. And so there's a little bit of research you can do and you can really tune your home lighting. The other thing I can think of, obviously, that you can do today is make sure that you are maintaining your filters, that you're upping the level of, of filtration that you're using to make it as effective as possible. But remember, you lose a lot more energy efficiency by not changing your filters than you do by going up a level to one that is more allergen focused or one that can trap pathogens. I'm sure you've heard it before, MERV 13, take a look at those filters that have ratings for allergens and pathogens, but make sure that you change those regularly because that impacts the, both the energy efficiency and the air quality in your home. That was the insightful Scott too, who heads up sustainability for train technologies. Scott and his team have been pioneers in their collaborations and the bold commitments to sustainability they've helped shape and lead. We're really excited to tap into that knowledge as we continue our quest to create more healthy and efficient spaces. You've been listening to Healthy Spaces with Train Technologies. I'm Rasha Hassani. For more information on our conversation with Scott too, see the show notes in your podcast app. And join us for our next conversation when we'll be speaking to Memo Sedeno Laurent from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health about healthy buildings and their potential to have a positive impact on productivity, safety, and the environment. Don't forget to hit subscribe to hear new episodes. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.